So uh, we just finished a three-week three series, and now this week we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then next week we have a special guest for you. Um, I'll actually be heading over to Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church to preach, and the pastor at Cornerstone will be heading over here to preach. So you'll have Pastor Jeremy over here, and that, that church is one of our parent churches that, that started us. They were one of the churches that was willing to invest in us financially, to send people, to be part of uh, Pursuit getting started six months ago. And so we plan on, a couple times a year, being able to swap uh, pulpits, I guess is the way they would say it. So I get to go over there and speak to them, and he gets to come over and speak to you. And it's always great when you're not the pastor, because you can say all kinds of stuff and get everyone all fired up, and then you just go home, right? It's just like being, essentially it's like being a grandparent, right? You take the grandkids for a couple minutes, you feed them sugar, you wind them all up, and then you release them on mom and dad. Thanks a lot for that. Uh, so he gets to come next week and share, and, um, and so I'm really excited to be able to go there and share with them too, and I get to share about what, all the cool things that's been going on here and thank them for their involvement in getting us started. Uh, we have two churches that invested in us. We have Cornerstone and we have Renovation Church, and both of those churches came together to provide uh, financial resources and to provide people and to provide coaching for me and for our leaders here. And so it's been a really great relationship, and we're really excited to be able to, to have that happen next week. So, so come, you know, give him a hard time, uh, make it difficult for him, you know, be, you know, cynical, don't listen, throw things at him, whatever you need to do. No, I'm just kidding, don't do any of that stuff. Be, be kind and polite, okay? Um, and then uh, after that, we're going to start a series where we're going to be doing some narrative uh, stories from Genesis. So we're going to spend some time going through some of uh, the uh, patriarchs and some of their stories from Genesis. We'll be doing that for a couple weeks. Um, so that's what you have to kind of look forward to with where we're going. Today, um, I just wanted to, to sort of uh, do a standalone message this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the thought process behind it was really uh, to talk a little bit about the way that God works, the way that he uh, extends his kingdom, the way that his, his way of doing things is sometimes a little bit different than we think and a little bit different than we're programmed to do, okay? And so in this section of scripture, basically uh, Moses is coming to the end of his time. He knows his time's going to be up, and so he's kind of leaving this final declaration of things that the Israelites should do. And it's really important to understand exactly how they got to this place, okay? So the, the Israelites were basically freed from captivity in Egypt, and then they were sort of driven out into the wilderness, and God kind of took them out there, and he was with them, he sustained them, and he led them around the uh, desert. And it's kind of a bummer, because they're out in the desert for like 40 years, and you're like, well, God, um, why didn't you just walk them straight to the place that you wanted them to go to? It doesn't really always make a lot of sense. Like, it wasn't very far on a map from here to here. Like, it's a couple days, like, it's not a long time. They're there in maybe like a few months at the most. But God walks them around in the desert in circles, basically, for 40 years. And he did that to prepare them, to do something with them, to get them ready for the kind of people that he wanted them to be, and to sort of remake them. It, it turns out that one of the things that God was doing in that time was actually moving on an entire generation of people whose complete identity was in the slavery that they had come from. These people, their, their entire identity was basically making bricks in Egypt. And then when God pulled them out, they just didn't even know how to live the way that God had called them to live. And many of them basically weren't able to do what God was calling them to. And so he basically kept them in the desert, preparing them and getting them ready and moving through an entire generation of people before he then was able to bring the people he wanted into the promised land. 
He spent that time preparing them and teaching them how to live. He wanted them to be holy like him, to be set apart. Right? God is the only thing who is not like anything else. He is holy. He is set apart. He is completely different than anything else. And he wanted his people not to be the, like the culture around them and to not have a slavery mindset and to not, and to not be in this, uh, in this mindset that, that they had in Egypt, but then to completely get rid of that and grab onto a new identity. And so he was making, forming their identity while they were in the desert preparing them. The, the, the number 40, when we see it in Scripture, oftentimes is a time of preparation. Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days before he begins his ministry. Okay, the Israelites, they're in the, the desert for 40 years before they find themselves going into the promised land. Moses himself was exiled from Egypt for 40 years before he went back and freed the people of Israel. 40 is a time that when we see that number, we generally know God is doing something to prepare people. And so God had prepared Moses, and he had sent them, and he had freed them from Egypt, and now he was preparing them as a nation. And as they're getting close to kind of stepping over the river that leads into the land that God had promised them, Moses then kind of takes some of that wisdom and puts it all together in this book, Deuteronomy, and he basically, it ends with him sitting on a mountain, kind of looking into the promised land, but he doesn't get to go in. He basically dies on that mountain, seeing what God had promised, but not actually being able to receive it. And the gift that God had was given to the next generation of people, to Joshua and to the, the people who had been prepared while they were out in the wilderness. And so here's what um, Moses has to say as he's basically giving sort of this, uh, this, these decrees and commands and kind of putting it all together for everybody to understand. This is what he says in chapter 6. These are the commands, the decrees, the laws, the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So he's like, hey, before you go in, let me just remind you of some things that you really want to keep uh, as a primary focus. And it's like 30 chapters of stuff. It's not like a little bit of stuff. It's not like the next four sentences we're going to sum up the whole thing. But the next four sentences were going to be where he started. It was going to be the, the primary thing. Then there's going to be a lot of things in that, the rest of Deuteronomy about how to live, the way that you should live, the way you should treat each other, the way you should treat people, the stuff that's important to God. Right? But he's kind of saying, hey, here's the most important stuff. Let me start here, the most important place. This is the thing that you should pay attention to. So he's like, I, I want you to, to take these commands, decrees, laws that God directed me to teach you and to observe these in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. When you cross over the Jordan and you get the land that God promised you, I want you to live differently. I want you to live the way God has called you to live. I don't want you to look like the rest of the culture around you, the rest of the nations around you, I want you to be different. I want you to be set apart. I want you to be holy. Okay, and so he starts here. He says, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy a long life. And when Moses refers to you and your children and their children, they must have been like awesome because they just watched a whole generation of people not get to receive the promise that God had promised them. God will always follow through on his promises, but often he doesn't follow through in the way that we think he should. The promise that he made to Israel as a nation was not fulfilled in Moses' generation. It was fulfilled in Joshua's generation. It was fulfilled to the next group of people that were coming. And he wanted them to fear the Lord. He promises them here, he says, hey, so that it'll go well with your children and their children, right? So it'll be your generation and the one that's coming up and the one that's not even born. These generations are going to be the ones that are going to enjoy the land that I'm giving you. 
But what I really want for you, from you is to fear the Lord. I want you to fear God uh, and keep all of his commands and decrees. And I think sometimes in, when we look at religion, that's our experience. We essentially responded to God by doing what he wants us to do out of fear. The, the fear that he's talking about here is not the fear that we generally are talking about when we talk about fear. The fear that Moses wants all the people of Israel to have is a holy reverence. It's a, um, basically it's a, a chance for them to uh, put God in his rightful place and put themselves in their place. And it's a deep reverence or respect or fear of God. He wants them to be paying attention to, listening to, and doing what God has called them to do. It's very, very important. And he basically says, if you do this, this generation will be blessed, and the next one, and the next one. And in fact, this reverence for God can be given to generation after generation. Uh, he goes on, he says, verse 3, Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God your ancestors promised you. He says this twice, this word here. And Jesus uses the same phrase too. He said, those who have ears, let them hear. Those who have eyes, let them see. He said, there's a, a thing that happens as humans where we have ears and we have eyes and we don't hear and we don't see. We're kind of stubborn. Like, I don't know if any of you guys struggle with this. If there's somebody in your life who is like one of those people that um, you're having a conversation with them and then they like pick up their phone and then they're gone, right? They're just gone. You're like, you're still talking to them and they're like, mm -hmm, yeah, okay. Um, I don't know if anyone else has felt that. Uh, I think it's super duper duper um, obnoxious when it's uh, somebody that you love. I know for me, I've had to start, okay, like, let me put this down. Let me give this person my full attention. Let me make sure they know they're very important to me that if I pick this thing up, I'm sending a message. Like, I'm glad you're here, but I'm more interested in what's happening right here. And a lot of us want to blame the younger generations uh, for this. They want to say, hey, this is just the way they're... But I want to tell you the most annoying place that this happens is with my mom. Uh, and I don't know if you are feeling this, but actually older generations, you're getting worse and worse at this. I just want you to know this. The younger kids at least have some ability to multitask. I know you'd, you'd probably argue with me and tell you multitasking doesn't exist. You just, just hang out with a Gen Z kid for a while. It definitely exists. That kid can do six things at once and sort of half pay attention to you, at least enough to regurgitate what you're saying. But as somebody over the age of 50, when you pick up your phone, you are gone. Like when I'm having a conversation with my mom and she picks up the phone, I just stop and I just look at her and I just wait. And it could be five minutes because she's going to go. <laughs> what does this say? <laughs> and she's gone, man. She does not have the ability to multitask. She didn't grow up with the thing and now she has it and it's ruining our relationship, okay? Uh, you maybe have somebody in your life who's a little bit like that. I... When Moses is saying this to Israel, he's like, hey, put everything down and listen to what I'm about to say to you. There is nothing more important. I need your full attention. I want you to hear, not just listen, hear. I don't want just you to be able to regurgitate. I mean, like, I know when you're in school, when you're younger, like, I always would be able to just, just the last sentence the teacher said would be just out of my mouth quickly, even if I wasn't paying attention. I just had to re could remember that one sentence. Hey, are you paying attention? I'd be like, you just said blah, 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 blah. And I wasn't really paying attention. Moses is like, look, put everything down. Stop what you're doing. Give me your full attention. Listen to what I'm saying. 
This is the most important thing. I'm about to tell you all kinds of things that God wants you to do. It starts right here. This is where it begins. This is the most important thing. He says, so he says hear Israel. Be careful to obey. Right? So he, he just said something about uh, fear and reverence of God, a deep reverence for God. And now he's talking about obedience. Right? So he goes straight into Israel. Be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. And then you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. He's like, this is yours. It's already yours. God made the promise. He'll fulfill it. It's yours. If you would just put it down and pay attention and learn to be deeply reverent of God and learn to be obedient in the things that he's calling you to do. I need your full attention. I need you to put it down and pay attention. Obedience is what we're looking for here. Reverence leads to obedience. A healthy fear leads to an obedient heart. When you fear, have that deep reverence for God, you want to be obedient to the things he's calling you to do. And some of those things are hard. We don't shy away from them. Some of those things he calls us to, they're not so easy. Right? He's calling us to, look counter, to live countercultural lives, to look different than the people around us. He's saying like, hey, what I want you to do is be set apart from the culture. That means you're going to be making decisions about the way that you run your relationships and your family and your finances and the stuff that you think is important and the things that you prioritize in your life. And some of these decisions are going to be met with like, you know, people who don't understand them. It's going to be hard. There's going to be things I'm going to ask you to do. I mean, the Jews today still look crazy different. If you lived in, uh, we lived in Rockland County, New York for a while there, right next to where the largest group of uh, Orthodox Jews live outside of Israel. Um, and essentially, we'd be driving around on Saturday and there'd just be hundreds of people walking up and down the streets with, uh, you know, weird hairstyles and strange clothes. And it like, they stuck out like a sore thumb. They they kept to their own schools. There was something different about these people that you were just like, what in the world is going on? This is like a completely different world that, that we just entered into, right? They, they were called to be set apart and holy. Now we are called to be set apart and holy. And it looks like a person who lives their life fearing God and being obedient to what he's called us to be. And that makes us look weird. It makes us stick out. It's something we need to embrace and be ready to, to take on. He's like, this is what will cause things to go well, to increase greatly, to grab hold of the promises that God gives us. And those promises are there for us if we would just grab hold of them. Okay, I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, worldly success. Right? When I say God's promises are there, and if we would just grab hold of those promises, I'm not saying that you will be rich if, you, if you're obedient to Jesus. In fact, what I'm telling you is that you, one of the things Jesus promises is that you'll deal with very hard, difficult things if we follow Christ. It's not always about being rich or being healthy or being wealthy or wise. Those things, those are not promised to us, right? The, the kind of obedience that God is calling us to leads to us being able to grab hold of the promises that he makes to us. And those promises are all often about identity. They're often about grabbing hold of who you are in your relationship with God, understanding that you are a dearly loved child of God, that you have a purpose in life, that God wants to use you Right? In a way that will bring his kingdom to the world. That will give you significance in life. Like those are the promises that we're talking about grabbing hold of. Those are the promises that were available to Israel if they would just cross over the Jordan and live the way God called them to live. So he says it again, verse 4. Hear, O Israel. Like, hey, I just wanted you to pay attention and now I'm just doing it again because some of you have ADD. And you're, just, you're off in your own world again already. Um, that's me sometimes, right? I just, 
I need God to, to hit me over the head sometimes and to, to get my attention. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your, your strength. Obedience looks like us prioritizing God in a way that we don't have a list of things that we should be prioritizing God to the top of the list. God is the list. He's the thing. He, he is what we need to be focused on. He needs to be the center of where our heart is, the center of where our soul is found, and the center of where all our strength is, is uh, put into. That he is the list. He's called us to be obedient. And he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The, this conversation starts with basically helping people understand that there's something different about God than the gods of the day that this was written. Now, this is a little bit weird because we have to go back a couple thousand years and put ourselves in the mindset of people who would have been understanding this and reading this. The gods of that day were, were basically gods of, of, of regions. They were locked into a place. You would go to a place and you'd be like, who's the god of this area? And there'd be a temple there and it would look like, you know, hey, over here we're, we're worshiping, you know, uh, this god and over here we're worshiping this god. This is the first god who comes along and says, I'm not tied to a building and I'm not tied to a specific thing. I'm tied to a certain group of people. I'm tied to every single place in the world. There is no place where I don't exist. Right? And so it was getting them out of the mindset that th- this was one of many gods. This was the God. The Lord is one. There's nothing like him. He's called you to make him the priority of your life. He is everywhere. And in fact, now that we have received the Holy Spirit, now when we are in relationship with Jesus, he's within us. Everywhere we go, we have him with us. We don't go to a place to worship. Right? We worship wherever we are, in whatever we are doing. It's a mind shift change because a lot of us, we think we're going to go to church on Sunday and we're going to worship. And that would have been the wrong mindset. That's exactly what was going on in their day. They go to this place and worship this God. They go up on top of this mountain and worship that God. This God's not connected to a location or to a building. Thank God, because we can meet in a community center. Last time I checked, there is no steeple on the building. We don't have a cross sitting on the roof. So why can we operate here as a church? Because our God is not limited to a building. He's not limited to a specific uh, ritual. He's within us, and we carry him where we go. Our chance to get together on Sundays is for us to be together. It's for us to remember how important Jesus is in our lives. It's for us to push each other to be obedient and to love God in the way that we're called to, to love him. And that's what happens. It goes from reverence to obedience to love. Right, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will make me the list. You will put me first. Right? If you love me, that's what you'll do. You'll put me first. He goes on, verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. The way that God wanted his kingdom to be uh, sent out into the world was through families. You just step back for a second and you see what God was doing here. He's like, look, I want you to make this part of your, your heart, not just in your head, not just to know something, but to actually believe it and to live it. 
And I want you to impress this on your children so that they'll know it and they'll live it and they'll believe it. And I want you to continue to teach people what it looks like to follow God through every single generation. Like, moms, you have a huge impact. You have no idea. In fact, as a youth pastor, one of the things that I, I thought was the, the funniest thing about uh, being in relationship with other youth pastors is that they thought they were a huge deal in the, the, the lives of their students. That they thought they were the ones leading their students to Jesus. And I'm like, you are like number seven on the list. If you look at what influences a student, it starts with my parents and my family and then some trusted people in my extended family and then some other people who I see multiple times a week like my teachers are on that list. And this and that. And then it's like youth leaders are like number seven. Because your families give you a place to start. Hopefully they show you what it looks like to follow God. And I just, I need to stop for a second and say, maybe you didn't grow up with the best family who pointed you in the right direction. And I'm glad you figured it out and you're here. And now you're breaking a cycle. And now you're able to give that to your, your kids. But I want you to know, when you don't find yourself in the family that leads you to Jesus, look around you. There are grandparents and Parents and brothers and sisters all over this room who will step in and be your family. The family is not just the, the place you were born, not just the group of people you were born into, but it's also the people that you commune with, that you have community with, that you spend time with. They, there are brothers and sisters in this room. There are mothers and fathers in this room. There are grandparents who are willing to invest in you and to help you move in that direction. And the minute you take it on for yourself, and then you give it to your family around you, your brothers and sisters, your uncles and aunts, your grandparents, your parents, your children, whatever. The minute you start to give it away, that's exactly what God had intended. That the family would be the place that he would begin to, to disseminate his message to the world. And that our church should look like and mimic a family. Okay? This is why we're so lost some of the times. We go into these gigantic worship centers and we watch a concert and we leave out the back door and we have no conversation with anyone and we have no connection with anyone and we have no place where we're connected to the mission. That was not what God intended. He intended for this to be a big family. He intended for us to know each other, to push each other, to love each other, to have hard conversations with one another, to, to encourage one another, to be there when we needed each other. He wanted us to mimic the family that some of us never got, that some of us don't have. That's what it looks like. That's the heart of this church. We want to be about community. We want to be about the community. We want what's happening here in this family to spill out into the world and create that community for others. So he says, look, you, you talk about them when you sit down and when you're at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. He says, basically, like, as you're living every single day of your life, from the moment you get up in the morning to the moment you fall into bed at night, I want you to have God's ways as your ways. I want you to be obedient. I want you to show love to people. I want you to show your family what this looks like, the people around you what it looks like. I want you to write it on the door frames of your homes that when people come to visit your house, they're walking into a place where God's presence is. I want you to put it out there for people. And I know that looks a little bit weird today because, you know, like, you know, most people don't even know their neighbors anymore. I don't know, it's weird. You knock on your neighbor's door, they like, they like, close the blinds, and they kind of like, did he go yet? Is he gone? Right? Like, I just needed some sugar. I don't know. <laughs> like, like, how do we make connections with our neighbors? Well, it's written on the door frames, and it's, it's out there for everyone to see. It's, it's how we are identifying ourselves and how we're basically uh, able to connect with people. It's, it's like the most important thing. It's on our lips as we live. It's the thing we want to share with people first. 
You know, and I know it's hard, man, because sometimes we don't even think we know all the answers. Am I going to share this with people? Am I going to be able to help them see that Jesus loves them? What if they ask me a question? I don't know. What if they, just invite them to church, man. Just like, hey, you want to come with me sometime? You want to meet some cool people? You want to hear about Jesus? Start a conversation. It's not that hard. You can do it. You know, and we're, I was having a conversation with somebody last week, and they were like, I don't know any of my neighbors. You know, we should do something for, uh, you know, um, uh, like National Night Out. And I go, you should do something for national. You should throw a block party for your neighborhood. I'll buy the food. If anyone wants to throw a block party for their neighborhood and invite their neighbors to come to church, I'll buy the food, okay? I'll, I'll come over from Costco and drop it off in your yard and you grill it for your neighbors and you go ahead and share your faith. I mean, that's what it looks like, okay? That's what it looks like. All right, so he finishes, verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you didn't provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful and do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so he says, I'm going to send you into a place and I'm going to have you push those people out because this is a place I prepared for you. And guess what? You're walking into a fully set up land that you didn't do anything to create. I want you to understand it was me who did it. And I want you to remember it was me who did it. This is the same thing that God offers to us. He says, look, if you will follow me, I'll do the work. In fact, I'm the one who makes the covenant with you. You don't have to do anything. You just have to receive the covenant that I'm offering you. This is the gospel at its core. It's us saying, my way doesn't work. The land that I live in is being destroyed. It's not working. It doesn't add up. At the end of the day, what I have, what I've created, what I've brought into this world is sin. It's destructive. It's chaotic. It's not, it doesn't add up to what I want it to add up to. And yet I can turn this in and receive this incredible peace and purpose and this life that Jesus wants to give me and this forgiveness of sin, this relationship with God and this Holy Spirit that lives within me if only I would just accept what God has prepared for me in advance. Why wouldn't I do that? What would keep me working on my own to try to please God when I could just set it all aside and receive what Christ has created for me? I mean, that's what God did for the Israelites. He created a land for them. He stocked it up. He set it up. And he just basically let them walk in and have it. He does the same thing for us. Turn away from your ways and receive God's ways. You'll find that same thing is available to you. And this is what it looks like. That God decided to create the church to mimic the family, to mimic the nation of Israel that he started with, to show us what it looked like to be a family of people who love each other. And I just want you to know, like, Mother's Day is a tough, it's, it's a time to celebrate for a lot of people. But it's also a tough weekend for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that are struggling with losing their mom this year. There's a lot of people who are struggling with infertility. There's a lot of people who are struggling with, um, you know, losing a child. And those things are hard. You know, I don't know how people outside of the church process that kind of pain and that kind of difficulty. We were called to be a family of people that point each other back to God and encourage one another and cry with each other and pray with each other and know each other. You know, I want you to think, too, about who's not here because they couldn't make it this morning, because they just couldn't hear the words, Happy Mother's Day. Like, who are those people? 
And some of us who have overcome some of those things. We're back in right relationship with a mom. Or we're now pregnant after a long bout of infertility. Let's be sensitive to those people. You know, this is what God created. A family of people who would love one another, who would support one another, who would pray with each other and cry with each other. And at the end of the day, would call each other to be obedient to a God who loves us. Who creates a path for us and asks us to step into it the same way he did with Israel. Let me pray. God, I just think about all the people who are struggling right now. I think about the people who aren't even here in the room with us because it was too hard to come this morning. I think about people who have lost their mom this year. I think about people who have broken relationships with their family. I think about those moms who are struggling to become a, a mom again. To see it all the way into a, a full-term pregnancy. God, I ask that you would help us as a family come together around those people, to love those people, to support those people, to see that what you called us to do was to be a family, was to obey and to love you above all things and to support and love one another the way that you loved us. Jesus, I pray that your gospel, your good news, uh, would be the thing that uh, identifies who we are, the thing that we are allowed to identify us in the world, that we have given back the sin that we created, we've given back the world that we built, and we have moved closer to you, accepting the, the forgiveness that you offer and the relationship that you want to have with us. God, we don't deserve it. I mean, we're, we're so flawed, and yet you call us into obedience. You call us into loving you with everything we have. You call us into encouraging others to do it and sharing it through this family of God that you've created here. And we're thankful that we have this place. We're thankful that we have you and your Holy Spirit that you don't leave us alone. We ask, God, that you would allow us to live in this way, to make a difference in this world because we are obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen.